My name is Hunter, for those of you that do not know me. Hey, hey. Um, and I'm on staff with Chi Alpha. Uh, fun fact about me, I really enjoy superhero movies. <laughs> Kevin said nerd. Anyone else? Fans of superhero movies? Okay, okay. Any, uh, let's, we'll start with, uh, any Marvel fans here? Okay, okay. Any DC fans? Oh, that was a better reaction than I was expecting. Way to stand firm. Um, <laughs> I am personally more of a Marvel fan myself. Uh, surprise, but I really do enjoy some DC movies like Batman. Like my core group and I, we watched Batman. I'm going to move this over here so I'm more central to the room. Uh, my core group and I watched Batman last year. It was super awesome. Uh, even though he's really just a rich guy with a bunch of fancy toys and weapons and like average combat skills, but uh, he's, he's still like a superhero, right? Uh, I'm not hating. Again, I, I, those movies are great. Um, well, if you've watched a lot of uh, these movies or shows, uh, maybe you've even thought about what special power you would choose for yourself if, if you had the option to choose any of them. Uh, maybe you would choose flying, right? Like, I remember all the time growing up, I'd have dreams of like flying, and it was so cool. And anytime I woke up, I was like, man, like, why did that have to end? Like, it was so cool. Um, maybe you would choose something else like, like teleportation, breathing underwater, like go swim with sharks. I don't know. Uh, maybe if you're introverted like myself, you choose invisibility. So sometimes you could just like really get away from everyone or still be around people but not be known so you can just like chill. Um, maybe you would choose like super strength or super speed. I don't know, maybe something else. Well, one of my favorite parts about superhero movies, when they actually do include this part, which most of the time they do, um, is the origin story of that person. And the origin story shows how they have received their power or powers. And perhaps this power came from science experiments gone wrong or right, such as being bitten by a genetically altered spider. Uh, maybe it, come, it came from um, overexposure to significant gamma radiation or exposure to a, a secret serum that turned you into a superhuman. Um, or maybe, maybe these powers came from something or someone else. Uh, maybe, maybe they were born with them even. Um, it doesn't matter, but across all of these movies and shows about superheroes, nearly all of these heroes have an origin story and a beginning to their power. Another thing that is super important to know about superhero movies is that it's not actually the power that makes these individuals heroes, right? Because there are often people with powers of their own who oppose them and what they stand for. And these people are often known as villains, right? Just because someone has a power doesn't make them a hero. What makes them a hero, what distinguishes heroes from villains, is how they use the power that they have been given. Whether they use that power for good, whether they use that power for evil, or just not at all. Well, as Uncle Ben taught Peter Parker, uh, maybe you perhaps know him better as Spider-Man, uh, he said, with great power comes great responsibility. And as we continue in our series titled Holy Spirit's Acts, where we've learned quite a bit by looking at the origin story of the church and its expansion as recorded in the book of Acts, we are going tonight to look at a power that was entrusted to the disciples and the early church. 
And with this power, they would expand the kingdom of God and push back against the kingdom and forces of darkness as heaven comes to earth. And the power of God's presence through the person of Holy Spirit, as well as this other power that we'll talk about tonight, would be vital in carrying out the task that God has given the church and that God has given to us. And this same power has been given to each of us here tonight. And if we will use it faithfully and responsibly, God will continue to build his kingdom in us and through us. What is this power? Well, you'll soon find out. Keep you in suspense. So we're continuing in our series called Holy Spirit's Acts, where we see how the church was started, how it expanded as spirit-filled believers were empowered by God to love one another and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In these first few years, there have been many reasons to celebrate. God has done some incredible things, right? Like thousands are coming to know Jesus and they're experiencing the forgiveness and the new life that he has to offer them. Um, hundreds and thousands of more are being healed. Um, we talked about the man who was, who was born lame. He was crippled from birth and in one moment, he is instantaneously healed, not just to stand or to walk, but to jump onto his feet. Like this dude is cruising around. No more is he in pain, but he is restored instantaneously. Could you imagine? Luke, who's the author of Acts, tells us in Acts 5 that, that people began bringing their sick loved ones to the streets when the apostles were traveling through town because God was healing left and right. Even if they just walked by, even if their shadow fell upon them, people were being healed. Even those, to, even those who were tormented by demonic spirits were being delivered, were being set free. The church was caring for the poor and the oppressed. This thing was really taking off. Through the power and presence of Holy Spirit, God's kingdom was advancing powerfully against the forces of darkness. And as we talked about last week, even one of the greatest threats to the early church named Saul on his way to persecute and arrest some more Christians has a powerful encounter with Jesus that left him forever changed. And what the enemy meant for evil God has used for good. And Saul, who was renamed Paul, uh, who was once ruthlessly persecuting Christians, is now helping to grow the church by preaching that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And he does this so effectively that a group of Jews try and, and take his life, and so he heads back to Tarsus for a few years to, to serve the Lord there and to let things simmer down. And so one of the chief opponents of the church has become among the most important builders and pioneers of the church, and Saul was no longer a threat to church. He was now a threat to Satan. And after this, Luke records in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, he says, Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. And as nice as it would be to stop right there, we know that there were hard times for the church as well. The apostles had been arrested on more than just one occasion. New believers were being arrested, and some, such as Stephen, who we talked about a few weeks ago, were even being killed for their faith and for proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And as we come to our passage tonight, we will see some of the hardships that are continuing to take place and the persecution that is only escalating against the church. The powers and the forces of evil were continuing to, to try and stop the advancing of the church. But what we will see from this passage, as we have seen all the way from the beginning of the church and through the life of the church today, 
is that nothing can prevail against the plans and purposes of God because they have and we have the special God-given power. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. And if you need a Bible, we have some extra, I believe, on that back table there. Um, you can just slip your hand up and Sam will grab you one if you need. So does anyone need a Bible tonight? Sam is making moves. Anyone, anyone at all? All right, thanks, Sam, for, uh, for your willingness. Oh, did you need one? Hey, there you go. Okay, checks out. <laughs> so turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 1. It reads, It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this was met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. All right, so some context. Here we see King Herod Agrippa I in power. And at this time, Jerusalem and Judea, this area was still under Roman rule, uh, which began well before the birth of Christ. And even though this area was still occupied by Rome, the Jewish people still had a pretty fair amount of uh, freedom, especially religious freedom. Um, and we have King Herod Agrippa here, and this dude has had a wild journey to power. Like, King Herod Agrippa, his, his dad was murdered by his own dad, sent off for execution when Agrippa was only three years old. Like, that's a, that's a tough start, if you ask me. Um, and as Herod grew up, like, there were several times where he was forced to flee different nations because he got himself into significant debt over and over again. And this landed him in prison at least once, uh, possibly more. Uh, there were other times where he fled from even more nations just because he got into some beef with the, the rulers and the authorities there. And so this man has been through a lot. Um, and however, he had the right connections and eventually he's given an opportunity by his pal Caligula, who was later succeeded by another emperor, Claudius, who puts Herod in charge of Judea. And it's important to know all this because it sets the backdrop for what is going on around the early church. The church is, is growing rapidly both in and outside of Judea, but there are still many threats that are facing them. And we see Agrippa as this individual who has experienced a lot of brokenness in his life, who hasn't had much stability, and really he's looking to prove himself. And so he's ruling over this area that was predominantly Jewish and having his own uh, Jewish family ties. Uh, he desired the approval of the Jewish people. And one of the ways he earned that was by attacking the, the church, by attacking Christians. And so he begins arresting Christian believers, and he even has James put to death by the sword. And this is significant for two reasons. The first reason is that James was the first disciple of the original 12 that we see killed for his faith. Um, Judas had been previously killed, but he betrayed Jesus. He did himself in. Uh, this is the first of the original, the OG 12, that we see his life taken for his faith. Up until this time, many other Christians had been uh, taken, but this is the first time one of the original was. Um, so there was no room for them to believe anymore that they, were, they weren't going to be touched or harmed. Like, this is, this is starting to get serious. Um, 
The second reason his death is significant is because up until this point, the persecution of the church was motivated by religious beliefs, right? Like um, we see that Stephen was, was stoned, he was murdered. Uh, we talked about that a few weeks ago and that was done by uh, a group of religious people called the Sanhedrin who uh, was a Jewish council that, that ran over the government or in authority there, but, but their primary reason for murdering Stephen was religious. But now, because of what Agrippa's doing, we see that there is a political motivation in persecuting the church. Christians are no longer being attacked just by these zealous Jews, but now are being punished by Roman authority too. And to make matters worse, Peter, the prominent leader of the early church at this time, is taken captive too. He's arrested and locked up, and this is not looking good. But thankfully, God has a plan and the church is using their God-given special power. And Luke also tells us that Peter is arrested during the festival of Unleavened Bread, which is a week-long feast that began just after Passover, and it celebrated how God delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. And this was one of three festivals that were celebrated each year. And so during this time, Jews from all over would have been gathering in this place. So what better time for Herod, wanting to win the approval of more Jewish people, uh, to, to make this arrest and to make headlines and to win the approval of other people. But because this was during such a holy week, he decides not to execute P uh, Peter as soon as he's arrested. Like this would have been very offensive to the Jewish people there had he had someone executed during this week, especially someone with as much notoriety or as fame as Peter. Um, and so this ends up buying Peter and the church some extra time. And what will they do with this time? Well, they will put to use the special power given to them by God. Verse five reads, so Peter was kept in prison but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. So they're praying fervently. They're praying passionately and constantly. Like this wasn't just something that they met together once that week to pray for, but they continued to meet again and again throughout these days to pray constantly for Peter. And this was around the same time that Jesus was arrested and crucified years earlier, and the church would have certainly been thinking about this during this time. And if you recall, up before Jesus' arrest, what did he do? He took the disciples to the garden of Gethsemane and he encouraged them to watch and to pray. And then Jesus retreated from them a few yards and, and spent some time in prayer with the Father. And he comes back and instead of finding the disciples deep in prayer, like he asked them to, they're deep in sleep. And Jesus I imagine gently, but maybe harshly, wakes them up. Uh, I, would have, I would have nudged them or like, I don't know, I've, I've one time in college put a vacuum cleaner on my roommate's head to wake him up. And it was really funny. Um, that's besides the point. Anyways, Jesus wakes them up and he, he encourages them to continue to pray. And he leaves them once again. And then he comes back and once again, they're asleep. It's like, man, if only you knew what was coming. Well, this is probably also on the mind of some of the disciples that would have been in this prayer gathering. And some years have passed, and having been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and having grown in their understanding and their confidence in prayer, seeing God move powerfully through their prayer before, instead of sleeping this time, we see them faithfully interceding on behalf of Peter. All that the church could do at this point was to pray. And all that they needed to do was just to pray. 
And this is because prayer is the work. There is power in prayer. It's the ability to go straight to God himself because of what Jesus endured on the cross for us. As Katie mentioned earlier, before the death of Jesus, people couldn't go straight to God. They had to go to a priest or someone to mediate on their behalf. But in the death of Jesus, he, he allows us to take on ourselves his righteousness and we can go to God. We can enter his presence and talk and petition with him ourselves directly. And this is powerful. Prayer is the power that, if used, changes us and our circumstances. We're going to continue in verse 6. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and then they went through it. When he had walked the length of one street, Suddenly, the angel left him. So the night before his trial and subsequent execution, God hears this prayer of the church. He sends an angel to lead Peter out of the prison. And this is incredible, right? This was only possible because of God. This miracle takes place. And one of the craziest things about this is that this isn't even the first time that this has happened. If you go back and read Acts chapter 5, there's a time where Peter, as well as several of the other apostles, had been in prison before, and once before, an angel opened the doors out of jail to let them out. Perhaps this is why Peter is sound asleep. He knows if God has done it before, he can surely do it again. But even if he doesn't, Peter rests in knowing that he will be with God either way. Perhaps in knowing that this has happened before, this is, why Peter, uh, this is why Herod goes to such extreme measures to ensure Peter's captivity. With four groups of, of four soldiers and chained to two soldiers instead of the usual one, with iron doors, there was no way that on his own power that Peter could escape. And there was no way the church and their own power could have broken Peter out of this prison. But the power of prayer and the power of an almighty God with these things, there is a way. And friends, even if it seems like there is no way out or no way forward, God can and will make a way. When you're super stressed about your final exams and tests coming up, and it seems like it's going to take an absolute miracle for you to pass that class, God can make a way. When you're searching for that internship this summer or the job once you graduate, and it seems like every door is being closed in front of you, God can make a way. When you feel weak or at the end of your rope and you are desperate for hope, God will make a way. Your future is as bright as the promises of God, and he has promised to never leave you and to never forsake you. No matter what you are facing, no matter what chains you feel may be holding you down, no matter who or what may try and hold you back, no matter what doors stand before you, God can make a way. He breaks the chains that bind us. He opens the doors before us. He simply tells us to get up, to follow him. 
His desire is to set you free from whatever would hold you down. And this starts with prayer. Thomas Watson said, the angel fetched Peter out of prison, but prayer fetched the angel. And I love that. Peter's release here starts with the prayer of the church. We see God moving on behalf of their prayer, and he sends an angel to free Peter. And we see that Peter is obedient to do what God tells him to do through the angel. Even though at first he has no idea what's happening is actually real, is actually happening, he simply obeys. Maybe it was helpful that he was asleep. I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes obedience is probably easier when you're <laughs> thinking you're dreaming and going along with it. But anyways, I think we can find room to relate to Peter here. Maybe not in the sense of, of sleepwalking and escaping prison or encountering an angel, but, but in the sense that, that his prayers and the prayers of the church are being answered at first, even when he's unaware of it. Many times when we pray and we feel like nothing is happening, God is moving and we don't even realize it. It didn't matter what Peter thought or felt about this situation. It didn't matter that this didn't seem real to him at all. It was really happening and God determined reality and what was actually happening. The same thing is true for us when we pray. We may not always know or realize what God is doing through our prayer, but that doesn't mean that something isn't happening. We may not always feel or recognize the changes that are taking place, but that doesn't mean the answer isn't coming our way. God is moving even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, even if you can't understand it. Whether you realize it or not, God is moving when you pray. And ironically, it's not until the angel leaves him and he's a block away from the prison when Peter actually realizes what has happened and what has taken place. It's not till the presence of the Lord and the angel is, is now away from him when he comes to and says, oh, this is what's happened. But he, he realizes it and he knows without a doubt that this was a miracle from God. As he says in verse um, 11, then Peter came to himself and said, now without, I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. And when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. So Peter decides to visit the home of Mary, where he knows that many of the believers have gathered to use that special power to go to God directly for him. He knows that God has done an incredible thing once again, and so he goes to share that with some of the people he cherishes dearly. And by the way, this isn't a good, a good example for us, right? Like when God does something incredible, when God does something special in your life, share that with someone. You know, share it with someone in your core group, share it with a friend. Share it with your roommate, your housemate. Like, this is an encouraging thing. So many times God does things in our lives, but we just kind of keep it to ourselves. But this is meant to be shared with others. And, and we're going to see um, why that's important. Um, you know, it, it helps us to remind people that, that nothing is impossible with God. And this is super important to see as, as Peter goes to this house and, and continuing in verse 13, um, it says... Sorry, I lost my place here real quick. 
It says, Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. So Peter comes to the very place where this prayer gathering is happening. And there's a knock at the door, and a servant girl named Rhoda goes to answer it. And Rhoda recognizes Peter's voice, and she's so excited about this, right, that she forgets to open the door. Uh, she didn't just open the door and slam it in Peter's face. Like, she didn't open it, but she heard his voice from the other side. And so she goes and runs to tell the others of what has happened. Oh, can you just imagine their contagious excitement as God has answered this prayer? Well, let's read on. In verse 15, their response. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. That's probably not the response that she expected. It's not the response that I would have expected. They don't believe her at all. And not only that, but they tell her she's foolish for what she's saying. You are out of your mind, they tell her. But she keeps insisting, I, I heard his voice. Peter is at the door. No way, it must be his angel. They come up with all sorts of explanations as to what Rhoda must have seen or heard, and she is not believed. And we've seen this before, right? Like the women who went to the empty tomb, they come back and they share the, the first ones of the message of the gospel, that Jesus is risen, and they've encountered an angel, they've encountered him, and yet they are not believed. So Rhoda isn't believed either. And I find this scene pretty ironic. Because when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, as Luke records in his gospel, Jesus gives them what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And many of you may be familiar with that. And then he goes on to teach them about persisting in prayer and asking boldly. And in this, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who receives, who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Except Peter, no. Um, <laughs> and now Jesus meant this symbolically, right? Uh, he didn't mean this literally. But we see here that in prayer, the believers are, are symbolically knocking on God's door, waiting for him to open, waiting for him to provide what they seek, while, while Peter, their prayers already having been answered unbeknownst to them, is literally knocking on their door, waiting to come in. God has opened up the, the doors of the jail cell. He's opened up the iron gate. He's brought Peter all of this way, and there is one last door to be opened. What will their reaction be when they see Peter for themselves? It reads in verse 16, But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Whatever the reason may have been for their disbelief, they are completely astonished. They are completely shook that Peter is here with them. They can't believe that this has happened the way that it has. And regardless of how great or little their faith was, God has answered their prayer in an even greater way than they could have imagined him to. And this is good news for us tonight, that even with just a little bit of faith, God can do the miraculous, that with just a little bit of faith, God can do the impossible in your life. And if you're like me, then there are times in your life where your faith is great 
and you're clearly seeing God at work in your life, and it is truly an awesome thing to behold. But there are also times in your life where you may be full of faith, but God doesn't seem to be answering prayer in the ways you're expecting to. Or, or maybe it doesn't seem like he's doing anything at all. And if you're like me, there are probably times where your faith may seem small, and yet God has continued to be faithful and has continued to be with you. Big or small, God will do great things in your life, even with just a little bit of faith. The answer to your prayer may be right at the door, just like it was for the disciples. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. Don't stop praying for whatever it is. And as I begin to close this message, um, I just want to give some advice to you guys, no matter where you are and your faith journey and where you are and your experience of prayer. And so three pieces of advice. First, to those of you who are growing in prayer for the first time um, and you don't you don't really know what to say, how to spend that time with the Lord. Maybe, and, and that's okay because sometimes prayer is just listening and being silent and present before God, which is cool. Um, but no matter what you say, just know that God delights in the fact that you are giving him your attention. You don't have to use all the right words. There's no magical formula to get prayer right, to get God to do his thing. Um, like think of it like you're learning to talk for the first time. Right? Like none of you remember that for yourselves, or if you do, you have an amazing memory. So props to you for that. But maybe if you have a younger sibling, you remember this. Uh, chances are your parents remember this. Um, but when you first started speaking, it was probably not in complete sentences or thoughts. Like the first time you actually spoke a fluent word, it was just a single word. And your parents were super excited, right? And it's not because they were expecting you to speak whatever uh, native language you spoke. They weren't expecting you to speak that fluently. They were just thrilled to hear the first word, right? And chances are they were even more thrilled if, if that word was, was mama or, or dada, right? Like if you said their name. Um, now maybe it's just coincidence, but how does Jesus, when teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer, begin that prayer? He begins that prayer with the word Father, or our Father. God is not impressed by our many words in prayer, but he delights in that through prayer we share our heart with him. And as you grow in prayer, practice it. Speak God's name. Call out to your heavenly Father. Be honest with him about how you feel, what you think of him, what your desires are, what it is that you need. Over time, it'll become more natural. And there's a helpful resource on our Chi Alpha website called um, the Acts Prayer Plan. Stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And this significantly improved my prayer life because when I was beginning to, to, to pray, like there was really not a big difference between like Santa Claus and Jesus in my theology. Like I just asked them for whatever it was I want. And one was real, God was real, right? And Santa wasn't, but it was like, I was only asking God for things that I wanted, things I thought I needed. And really there was not a big difference, right? Um, and so the Acts prayer plan was what helped show me 
that there are so many different ways to pray to God other than supplication, which is asking him for things. So please check out that resource, or if you're here with your core group leader, have them send you the Acts prayer plan. It powerfully transformed my prayer life and even my idea and understanding of prayer. Remember that uh, prayer is talking with God about everything and being present with him. The second encouragement I want to give to you all uh, applies to all of us, and that is to never miss an opportunity to pray for someone. And there's this interesting thing in church culture that all of us here, myself included, are probably guilty of, and that's when someone asks you directly, is there anything for you that I can pray for? And we answer, ah, you know, I'm good. I can't really think of anything. Like, everything's going well. So, yeah, praise God. And, like, honestly, that's tough. Like, I, I mean, it's great that everything's good, you know, but, like, I love ending my times with people in discipleship asking them how I can pray for them. And sometimes I get that answer, and it's just disappointing. And I've given that answer myself again. But the truth is we need prayer just as much when things are going well as we do when things are going poorly. Like, yes, our prayer requests may look different in those different seasons that we're in. When I'm in the valley, I probably need prayer for God to move in powerful ways and to deliver me from the things that are coming against me and holding me back. But when I'm on the mountaintop and doing really well, I still need prayer to remain humble, that I would depend upon God for every good thing and not take credit myself. Do you feel me? Because it's far too easy to be strong in prayer when we're in the thick of those difficult seasons and, and life is just really hard. Yet, it's far too easy when we make it over those things to say, Okay, God, thanks for getting me through that. I'll holler at you next time I need you again. Hopefully, it'll be a while. But, uh, I mean, like, that's what we do sometimes, right? I'll talk to you again when I need you. But remember, as we've talked about before, prayer is consequential, so it does change things but it's also relational. So that even when we feel like there aren't any things in our life that need changing, we can still focus on that relational aspect, building that relationship with God. Prayer is relational and consequential. And come on, word up. And no one wants a friend who speaks to them only when they're in need, right? Like, we'd start to think that that person is taking advantage of us. Um, we, we'd start to think that they only uh, want to be friends with us because of what we have to offer. So why would we do that with God? And in fact, there's nothing that we can truly give to God that he needs, right? Yet he loves us and he wants us anyways. Talk to God even when you don't recognize what needs are in your life. He just simply delights in us being with him. The last encouragement that I want to give about prayer is this. Sometimes the most important thing prayer changes is not our circumstances, but our hearts. And prayer is aligning our heart and our will with the heart and will of God. Sometimes it's not our circumstances that need to be changed. Sometimes God wants to change our hearts through our circumstances. For instance, maybe, just think hypothetically here, bear with me, maybe you have a roommate or a housemate that is very difficult, and, and maybe you don't get along with them or they just get on your nerves because of how late they stay up or because they don't do their dishes or they take up all the room in the freezer or the refrigerator, 
it's pretty natural to pray that God would change that person in their ways, and maybe he will. But what if instead on focusing only on praying for them to change, that you focused your prayer on learning how to love them well in spite of all these challenges and frustrations? <laughs> maybe someone has wronged you in some way, and you're very upset at that person, and rightly so, for they have caused you harm, and what they've done is wrong. And maybe your prayer has been that they would feel remorse and sorry for what they've done and that they would apologize to you. Again, this is a great thing to pray for. I've seen God do this reconciliation in my life several times, and it was really beautiful. But what if in addition to this, you focused on praying for your own heart, that God would remove any bitterness and help you to forgive this person regardless of how they feel, that God would help you to not be weighed down or held back by this person any longer. I'm just going to share a brief story about how God changed my heart through prayer, even when I at first was only concerned about my circumstances. So throw back a long time ago to uh, my second year of college, and um, over the summer I had met this really great girl who loved Jesus, and like we gelled over that, and it was super cool. Um, and like this was the first time I was dating someone who was like actually really serious about their faith. And so I was like, man, this thing is gonna go the distance. We're probably gonna get married someday. Like this is only a couple months in, so don't worry, like chill, <laughs> chill. But like also as a Christian, like knowing that like Jesus was all we really needed in common, I was like, okay, like we've got this. This is the most important thing. And I had not done that before. So I get back to college my second year and two months into the semester, I'm walking out of chemistry lab, which is just tough. <laughs> Paul feels me. <laughs> Um, I'm walking, actually I was going to chemistry lab, sorry, sorry. I was going to chemistry lab and I get this cell phone call from my girlfriend at the time and she says, hey, I'm driving up to Charlottesville. She lived two hours away at that point. We need to talk. I was like, this is not good at all. And uh, so then I went through chemistry lab knowing I was going to get broken up with after that. So if you think chemistry lab is bad, try doing it when you know you're getting broken up with right afterwards. That's tough. Um, and so that relationship suddenly ended. It was very unexpected. It was very hard for me. Like it was, it was difficult and like I felt shattered. And of course, like as I prayed over that situation originally, all of my prayer was like, Lord, bring me and this person back together. Like, whatever I did wrong, like, can you fix it? Like, there was a lot of shame that came in, but it was like, Lord, will you just bring us back together? Will you reconcile this? Like, I miss this person. Um, that was like my prayer for many, many weeks, right? But over time, something inside my heart began to change. And like, I went to God in my frustration, I went to him in my heartache and my pain and my sadness and even just like my confusion because I really had no idea why she was breaking us off. Um, but in that time, God significantly changed my heart. He strengthened my faith and helped me to realize how dependent I must be on him, that he alone would be the source of my true joy, that that wouldn't be found in any person or thing other than Jesus. And that season of prayer, he refined me, he strengthened me, and he deepened my faith. Um, my circumstances with that girl hadn't really changed, but my heart was deeply changed. <laughs> and <laughs> how romantic. And then after many months, and again, like that was some of the sweetest time in my life that I've ever had with the Lord. Like my wall was covered with like 50 different post-it notes of all these scriptures. It was just really sweet. And 
I still have them in a shoebox somewhere. But um, <laughs> after many months, the Lord in a surprising way, well, and one thing I was, sorry, back up. Uh, one of the things I found myself constantly praying for in that time, I was praying for this individual and I was like, God, whoever she dates, whoever she's in a relationship with later, like, I want you to make him a godlier man than I was. Like, I want him to be a better person for her. And right, like, that was truly a selfless thing to pray. And like, I had no expectation. I was like, I don't know who that's going to be, but like, God, make him a godlier person. And I pray that same thing for myself. Like, God, whoever I date, like, when that time comes back around, like, may they be a godlier person than she was. Uh, and not, like, not at her, you know. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta sense my heart here. Sorry, I should have stuck to the notes. Um, and, <laughs> and what would you know? But a year passes by, and in a surprising way, the Lord brought us back together, and we started dating again. And a little while into that relationship, we realized that God probably did far more in that season apart from one another than what he might have done had we been together. And it's not because anything about our, our relationship was wrong, but he used that, that season of, of separation, of being broke up, to refine and shape us into who he wanted us to be. He was our sole focus. And then everything that second time around was far better. Jesus was at the center of it all. Um, and of course, that's my wife I'm talking about, Julia. In case, in case you were wondering, that would have been super awkward if it wasn't Julia I was talking about. And then, um, but the <laughs> thank you, Tim. Um, <laughs> And so I share this story because sometimes God may want to change your heart before he changes your circumstances. And other times he may desire to change your heart through your circumstances. I don't know what all of you here tonight are coming in here with, but I do know that we could all stand to benefit from taking the, never, the, the, taking the next several minutes to pray for and with one another. Maybe tonight you recognize that there are some chains in your life that have been holding you down. I believe that God wants to break those chains and that he can do that tonight. And I would encourage you to pray over whatever that would be. Maybe you're here tonight and you're facing decisions about your future and it feels like every door in front of you is closing or has been shut. And not just shut, but like welded shut or locked shut. Um, I believe God opened those doors for Peter that he can do the same for you. And I'd encourage you to pray tonight that he would open that door for you, whatever it would be, or, or maybe that he would just bring you to the right door for you to step out in faith and open for yourself. Maybe, maybe you truly feel great tonight and you don't really know any needs in your own life. If that's you, I'd encourage you to just pray to remain humble and dependent upon the Lord. And perhaps in this season, he will allow you the opportunity to focus more on the needs of others, um, needs that you yourself may be able to assist with um, in prayer and in other means too. So for the next 10 minutes or so, um, check the time. Yeah, for the next 10 minutes or so, we're just gonna get into groups of two or three people around you and go to the Lord in prayer. And I just encourage you to be real before each other and the Lord. Let, the, let those in your group that you pair up with know how they can pray for you 
So, so one person will share and then that next person uh, will pray for them and just take some time to lift up these things. And we're going to all pray out loud and turn this room into a chorus of prayer as the church would have done when praying for Peter. Um, so we're not just gathering and sharing these things and just sitting in awkward silence. Like we're going to pray out loud as you are comfortable with. Um, and Mitchell will play some uh, intr- instrumental spiritual music in the background. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to pray out loud and turn this room into a chorus of prayer as the church would have done. And then in a little bit, we'll have the worship team come up for one last song for us to respond to. So go ahead, find two or three people around you and just take some time to share what are these things that you would like prayer for and then bring those before the Lord. So in Acts, we see the power of prayer God gives to each and every believer because of what Jesus has done on the cross. So let us act on this power to be transformed and to see God transform us as we continue the mission of seeing people transformed by God and seeing the earth redeemed. The last verse in our passage here tonight says, Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Peter shares about what God has done and encourages those gathered there with what the Lord has done, what has taken place. And as God continues to work in and through your life in prayer, let us be quick to share and encourage others by telling them of all that he's done and all that he's doing in your life and in the lives of those you are also praying for. And what would this like if we did this in our core groups, if we did this in our houses, if we made more space to pray together? As we gathered often to pray together, what would this look like if you did this in your dorm? Pray together and share with one another when you see God doing something, whether big or small, and come to XA Abides. Shameless plug. <laughs> Wednesdays and Fridays at the Moran's house from 9 to 9.50, we are praying over many things and God is moving powerfully in those times. And we also prayer walk this campus Thursdays outside the SSC from 9 to 9.50 as well. So feel free to come to XA Abides. Give more opportunities in your life. Take more of the opportunities God has given you to press into prayer. And what would happen on our campus? What would happen in our own lives as we see God move powerfully? Well, I'm going to give the benediction as we close. And if you want to raise your hands to receive that, you may. May God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his countenance towards you, and may he give you peace, strength, and persistence in prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, have a wonderful week, Chi Alpha. Amen, and go Dukes!